welcome to this podcast from Adelaide Place Baptist Church. We are a community of disciples, apprentices of Jesus, who live and work in the city of Glasgow, and it's our vision to join God in the renewal of all things. Our discipleship to Jesus is for all of our lives, so as well as listening to this podcast, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday morning or get involved in one of our missional communities, which are across the city throughout the week. Our prayer is that you encounter Jesus in some way through this podcast. More information can be found at apbc.net. Good afternoon. It's lovely to uh, be back in here and see you all. Um, it's, been, it's been strange uh, being, uh, you know, doing the missional community thing in, in a good way. Uh, I think I've detected something of the, I don't know, the... the just the discipline of meeting together um, in different ways, bringing a bit of delight. Now, sometimes with disciplines, they yield delight. <laughs> Other times they don't yield much and you still have to do them. But there's just been the sense of, as we've met in different places, different um, buildings and homes, just something good about that uh, practice of being together. So it's been lovely to hear and see different pictures. And thanks to the hosts who were working and making sure we all had a chance to be together. But it is lovely to be in this space my, my name's Stephen, if I've not met you before, I have the privilege of serving as lead pastor here of this community, and it's great to be together at the beginning of Advent, the first Sunday of Advent. How did we get here? It seems to just come so quickly. Um, so I want to finish off, the readings uh, we've already heard are from the lectionary, so selected readings that many uh, church traditions read, uh, the same passages throughout um, the world at the minute. I'm going to finish off the reading um, from Matthew's Gospel. It feels like it's right to read one of the Gospel readings too, though I will refer to Romans and then Isaiah in a few moments. But Matthew uh, 24, 36 uh, says this, But about that day or hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son of Man, but only the Father, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving the marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. This is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in a field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch. Because you do not know on what day your Lord will come, but understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would have not let his house be broken into. So you, must also, you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Every year, Advent begins in the dark, um, both literally for us in this part of the world and figuratively. And it's a season where we are able to wrestle with a God who says he is present with his people. And yet, in some senses, we wrestle with the fact he's still not present with us. The fullness of his presence is still something that we do not experience. Is something we long for. And the New Testament scriptures in general witness to this fact, telling us that God's presence and his kingdom is here now in part, but in one day will be with us in full. 
The night is nearly over, according to the Apostle Paul. And through Advent, we get to to fully embrace this in-between tension of being now and and almost there, but, but still not yet. For me, it can sometimes feel like an unbearable tension, but just waiting for the promises of God on the one hand, knowing them, but yet not seeing them, not being in them fully. And so questions that maybe should bubble up to the surface in Advent could be, how is God present in the sudden death of many children with entire communities in Indonesia left buried under rubble after a random earthquake? How is God present as the caring father of creation when there is an exponential wave of despair building over poverty, cost of living, anxiety, climate change? How is God present through unjust wars led by seemingly out of control um, superpowers? How is God present when we pray and nothing changes or the unthinkable happens or, or when we're just left with the numbness of, of loss? How is God present when we ask him to bless our families and loved ones and they seem to be hit with something more akin to a curse? And a blessing. The night is nearly over. That nearly in the season of Advent is really important. Well, we wait. We, we have longings. And of course, our world is usually longing for a bit of the, the Christmas glow at this time of year. A bit of the buzz, be it through the lights, the shops, the unforgivable early Christmas music. I went into shop yesterday and actually made me angry. Just no need for Christmas Day sort of music. The events and the, the social occasions, for many, maybe rightly, this is their favorite time of year. And of course, in its proper time and place, rightly so. However, we, would, we could do well with heeding some warning from our brothers and sisters from different traditions, I'm thinking of the Episcopalian uh, tradition, who intentionally delay gratification as long as possible, uh, the gratification of Christmas, and prevent Christmas cheer creeping into Advent. Many of them, like really intentionally in the Episcopalian tradition, will not put up decorations until the 11th hour, and then like out of nowhere, hope arrived at Christmas, so they put together the decorations last minute to, to get in with the story rather than allowing the Christmas and Advent to merge together. And I wonder if there's something in the worship of our brothers and sisters from this different tradition that is telling us something that we need to attend to. Could there be a grace in what they point to? So I I caught a scene of a program, Casualty, on TV last night. I don't watch Casualty, by the way in case you had me for a casualty watcher. It's a, it's a drama on, but I just caught about 90 seconds of it. And for some reason it made me think of Advent. There was a, it, it seemed to be a scene of good acting, which stood out to me of, of a really strong, quite stern woman sort of leader who was like in charge of the paramedic department. And I had no context, so I never watch it. I promise, I never watch it. I had no context <laughs> of the, the plot. But at this point, the... I could tell something was sad had happened, 
but she was looking after everybody else. And she was um, saying, no, no, you, you go home now, I'll look after this. And someone said, are you okay? No, I'm fine, and, and I'll lock up, it's fine, I'll stay here to the end. And she was like, all strong, fine. Then she went in behind the door and just let out a belly ache of a cry that almost took me by surprise because of the good acting. But, <laughs> but the moment of that crumbling, and here's what, I, here's what it made me think of. Look, we are, I'm not encouraging people to go out and be miserable through the Christmas season. When you go to the parties, when you go shopping, get, smile, enjoy it, get into it, absolutely. But when we are in here, in this place, we, we don't get confused. We recognize that it is a time where it begins in the dark, in the tension of the now and the not yet. So for me, Advent, particularly this first Sunday, is about longing and waiting for the arrival of Jesus in his second coming. His incarnation will be celebrated at Christmas for good reason. But just as we hold the realities of Easter and Pentecost, whatever the day of the week it is, nevertheless, in these seasons, we are encouraged to take up our place in God's story, recognizing right now we have not yet fully arrived. Some would say Advent is the deepest place in the church year. What would it look like for us as a church to take up our place in the deep, dark night of Advent? Well, for certain, we do not minimize the scale of the problems. In fact, Advent is a time to look at the scale of the problems we face in this world and get clearer on the nature of Christian hope. Both texts from our readings in Isaiah and Romans have their own spell of darkness to acknowledge. The hopeful tone of Isaiah 2 that we heard read comes right in the middle of a methodical rebuke from Yahweh. Jerusalem is not a city of peace, where it says peace, peace. It is far from that, but it's in fact the unfaithful city and adulteress. And in fact, the hope that we heard read is set against the terrifying warning of what's to follow from the Assyrian and Babylonian regimes who are going to bring about the end of the monarchy, the end of the temple, the destruction and death. You know how the story goes. Paul, writing to the Roman church, again lays out the darkness in the terms of this battle of the flesh, warning them of the dangers of their choices and ways when they go the way of the flesh. Indeed, much of Paul's ministry and, and writing is is fueled by all of these tensions, pastoral situations, practical situations, as he worked out this battle among his communities, the battle of the flesh. And so Advent invites a very particular kind of hope-filled longing. This is not an always look on the bright side kind of hope, nor is it a we always rise to the challenge with a bit of vitriol and we, we are going to make it, we're going to face this challenge type of hope. It also must never be allowed to exist as a blind, naive hope. Things will work themselves out. They always do. You know, things will be fine in the end. Let's just, let's just push these doubts aside. It'll be fine. Ignore it. It'll go away. Judah and Israel, in the context of the story of Isaiah, couldn't see any way forward. 
There was, there, theirs was a hope that they couldn't find any practical solutions whatsoever. And Paul, Paul could find absolutely no hope in humanity breaking the cosmic curse since Adam as he goes at length in the book of Romans to do. Because the pattern of Eden remained largely the same. People kept doing what was right in their own eyes. And there was no sense of humanity in Paul's context being able to fix itself. No, this, this is a hope that in most ways can't see any way forward at all. But it is a hope because it draws upon the memory of God, specifically his actions and his words. And in so doing, draws us in a faith that will put all of its weight on such prom promises. And in effect, saying, yes, we acknowledge the full scale of the problems. They are, they are too big for us. But we don't stop there. Instead, we fix our gaze on the scale of this God who says, I am more than enough for the challenges that lie ahead. I am not the God of the private pick-me-up spirituality, though he is personal. I am not the God oblivious to the orphan and the widow. I am not the God who lets evil run riot over my good creation. I am not a God of death. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I am coming soon. The night is nearly over. And the Isaiah text anticipates and celebrates the competency of Yahweh as a great God of judgment. It's often missed in our modern discomfort with the idea of judgment, that judgment in the scriptures is always connected to God's mercy and God putting the world the right way up. Isaiah wasn't worried in the slightest about depicting God as a judge. God's judgment was needed to call evil, evil, and yet overcome it with his goodness and mercy. Hence why Isaiah anticipates such seismic reversals through the judgment of God, where we, they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation. Instead of war, it will be no longer. There will be peace. This God will come and act and is able to put things right. And we see this sort of justice work itself most clearly of course, in the cross of Christ. Well, if, if it's all on God, there's really not much for us to do, is there? It's kind of hunker down until he comes and fixes it and just get on with living our best life and having a go and, you know, things will work out. Except that's not how it goes. We know Advent demands a very specific confession and reorientation in the church at this time. And it's summarized in, in different ways. Um, with Paul in Romans, it's a call to wake up from our slumber. For Isaiah in his day, he was calling for people to, to walk in the light of the Lord. And again, in Matthew's gospel, it was this calling for, for God's people be, to be alert, to, to be awake expecting the one to come. So God's people are to be the alert and awake kind on the front end of the curve, anticipating glimpses of this greatest dawn, if that makes sense. This great victory that Jesus has won, we are to be on the front end of 
ushering that in, giving foretaste of that. Except the reality is, in fact, that in the New Testament it's filled with so many examples of the church just being far from that, far from living up to that place of being the foretaste of what's to come. And sadly, realistically, church history and experience now also places the church far too often of falling into the same trap, being far from anticipating and giving foretaste of the, the beautiful kingdom of beauty and justice. So to unpack what this awake state means, from Paul's perspective anyway, in Romans, I guess, I don't know how you hear, but I guess I'm thinking we could hear, oh, this is just the usual puritanical Christian ethics, you know, don't get drunk and some of the, the physical stuff and all the rest of the holier than thou do not. It could be easy to hear like that, except I don't actually think Paul is anti a nice Zinfandel or whatever. I don't think he's after pleasure. I don't think he's against that. I think what he's going after is a state, a condition of being inebriated, you know, numb, trying to numb and ignore away from and to do what you want. He goes after quarreling and gossiping, things that deform communities. And there's something, I think, more profound or deep in what Paul is going after about this state that, that we can be in that Paul calls and contrasts with the kingdom of, he of heaven or the life in the spirit as the life lived according to the flesh. And the Greek word means is, is sarx. And it's, it, if you were to summarize it, one way of doing it, and you could spend a lot of time, is just to say it's the life lived for yourself. It's the life lived to gratify yourself. It's the same thing we've heard from the Garden of Eden, lived out time and again. So there's another reason to avoid trying to feel Christmassy through all of December, because you might be I might, I feel, might feel a bit bad and trying to put a dampener or something, you're trying to get into the, the mood of it, and I, I might myself be like, do you know what, um, things are going pretty well in the Crothers household, it's a pretty settled time, you know, we've just moved house and there's been other complicated years, this feels in a moment not too bad, things are falling into place. However, unlike American and some British Christianity, the Christianity in the Bible is not individualistic and instead is rigorously social in its orientation. And so, as Fleming Rutledge, the preacher, she says this, when the church groans with Isaiah, thou hast hid thy face far from us, it speaks as a corporate body with a common law. If one suffers, all suffer. Solidarity is essential in this season and no matter how up I may feel or, or you may feel, my place as a Christian in the larger scheme of things isn't to lap up the sunshine of God's bountiful presence in my life, but in repentance and prayer be present to my neighbour and our world, our weary world in a time of darkness. As we acknowledge our own weary state, we identify with a weary world. We don't live according to the flesh. Which leaves me sometimes with, well, what, what have I got to offer? Where's the joy? What, what do I say to people who, who are in darkness? What do I say? And I think Paul would say, tell them the night is nearly over. 
There's one who can match the scale of any problems that we cannot match, that he can. Tell your children, tell your colleagues, tell your loved ones, tell your neighbors, tell yourself. Jesus is worthy of our trust. He is able to hold our worries of today, our fears about tomorrow. He is coming, and by his spirit, he is right here, right now, closer than the air we breathe. Emmanuel. It's a poem called This Darkness by Drew Jackson. Not all darkness is the darkness of despair. This may be the darkness of the womb that is consuming you, inviting you to wait there for the fullness of time. We're going to pray in a moment, but let's just take a moment to hold our longings before God in this stillness together. In a moment, prayer is going to come up on screen, which will hopefully guide us in a prayer. The bold words are ones we say together, and slightly less bold ones I will lead us in. God of justice and peace, from the heavens you rain down mercy and kindness, that all on earth may stand in awe and wonder before you, before your marvelous deeds. Raise our heads in expectation that we may yearn for the coming day of the Lord and stand without blame before your Son, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. There's the next slide. We seek the mighty God in the most unlikely places. As a child in the stable and in an empty womb, May God hear these prayers which come from the unlikely corners of our lives. Give us ears to hear, O God, and eyes to watch, that we may know your presence in our midst during this holy season of waiting as we anticipate the coming of Jesus Christ. Unexpected God, your advent alarms us. Wake us from drowsy worship, from the sleep that neglects love, and the sedative of misdirected frenzy. Awaken us now to your coming and bend our angers into your peace. Amen.
Christmas worship. Mm -hmm.